You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S. Bleeds is your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, first of all, happy belated birthday, my man. How was your birthday? Appreciate it. It was solid, bro. Got to spend time with the family and got to hang out with my girl. So we just kicked it and watched Netflix and watched some movies and uh, had some cake. Just like low key stuff, like didn't really do too much. I didn't, you know, I was just glad I didn't have to go to work that day because I was like, bro, like, <laughs> that would have be, been brutal. I'm gonna be short. Sure, I'm gonna be short with everybody if I have if I get into it with somebody. I'm gonna be like, bro, like next <laughs> but I'm, I'm i'm chilling right now i'm like really happy i'm feeling a lot more energized right now like you know just trying to make it through midterms right now but at the same time just like yo nosebleeds let's get it bro let's let's get it well good luck with all of that it's unfortunate we wish you were tired because we liked bold tired Corey when he makes those predictions oh man Let's get into it. We got a lot of NFL and NBA news. Let's start off with the NFL, the biggest news of all, and that is Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys agreeing to an extension. It was a four-year, $160 million extension, $42 million on average for the first three seasons, and uh, $126 million guaranteed. He also got a $66 million signing bonus, which is the highest in NFL history. So homeboy got paid and he's set to make $75 million in just his first season under his new contract, which is more than the half a billion dollar man, Patrick Mahomes, in his first two seasons. And along with the with the money, he gets a no trade clause and a no franchise tag clause. But the Cowboys did have to franchise tag Dak just to make sure they kept him before the contract extension was negotiated. So he was tagged with an expected salary of about $37, $38 million. But uh, this is a big, big extension for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. What are your thoughts on this, Corey? I mean, everybody's going to look at the contract and they're going to look at it two ways, especially Cowboys fans. Some people are going to be like, they're happy that Dak got paid. And then other people are going to be like, damn, the Cowboys got fleeced. Cowboys overpaid like crazy. And I'm somewhere in the middle because – I. I am definitely, I mean, you, you you love the fact that Dak got paid because, you know, fourth round draft pick really came out of nowhere. Like, wouldn't have gotten any playing time if Tony Romo didn't get hurt in preseason. Next thing you know, like, the, the bar was set so low for Dak. And then all of a sudden, the year that he was a starter alongside with Zeke Elliott, like, they just started just completely – uh, playing so well offensively and they they the team as a whole was looking like they was if not a Super Bowl favorite they looked like they they was gonna try to be in that conversation for sure but um, then year two kind of rolled around for Dak and then it was kind of a little bit more of a reality check for him and I think 
somewhere in between with Dak between year one and year two is where he's at. I don't think Dak is going to ever be considered like a top three, top five quarterback in the NFL, but I, but he's had seasons where he's played like a top five quarterback. If you know what I mean? Like, cause I did say like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say like he is top five right now, but after the last season, there was I one said, point in time hey, where <laughs> I, said, I said after last season, if you want to look at, how every quarterback played not the season that just finished but two seasons ago he looked like he was he was he was up there for sure but i think he's definitely a top 10 quarterback and like if this is what top 10 quarterbacks are getting look at the top 10 quarterbacks right now because when you look at the amount of money that these guys are amounting up to and this doesn't shock me at all would the cowboys have probably loved to have dropped that number from maybe like 160 to maybe like around to like 140 or something like that of course but at the same time they didn't really have a plan b like it was like are you gonna sign deck or are you gonna maybe try to play with the draft are you gonna try to andy dalton (laughs) exactly andy dalton it doesn't make any sense to be trying to fiddle around at the quarterback position when let's face facts the cowboys have a lot of holes that they need to fill so on one end you need to pay your quarterback and on the other hand, you have so many different positions that you need to fix and patch up and at least, you know, get somebody in there that can help you look like a legitimate team because last year was was terrible. It was god awful. And it exposed that the Cowboys are well behind as far as where they should be. And, you know, you some people thought it was the coaching. That's why they got a new head coach in there. Some people might have thought that they – might need to fix their offensive line. Some people think it's the defense. Like it just seems like the Cowboys every single year, there's something that needs to be fixed or needs to get upgraded when as a whole, as a team, it's like, you can really point at, it reminds me of the Knicks that one year where uh, they, uh, they were so bad. And like, people were saying like, they need to get this and they need to get that. I think it was Brazingas' draft. And they were like, yo, they need to draft everybody. <laughs> they need to get everything and fix everything. But it's not that the Cowboys, I think, are necessarily a bad team. It's just I think they're like middle tier, like middle of the road. And I think the way that you don't take another step backwards is allowing your quarterback to walk out the door for nothing. And you are trying to figure out what the hell do you do. So the Cowboys put themselves in this position. Dak, I think, is definitely a winner here. But ultimately, the Cowboys are still going to have to figure out how can they get the best out of Dak so that they this contract doesn't look like a massive overpay. And how can they fix some of the holes that are in this team so that they can get back into Super Bowl contention? Yeah, I think this entire offseason, this was the negotiation that all eyes were on. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, last season, he was on pace to break the single season passing record before his injury. And then seeing how the Cowboys were without him last season after his injury was the main reason they wanted to make sure they locked him up this season. But you want to talk about winners and losers. Dak Prescott's the main winner over here. He bet on himself after making about $4 million in total his first four seasons, given that he was a fourth-round pick, and basically said, I've been producing on this terrible rookie contract that I have, and I've been, I mean, I guess you can call it a discount, but now you got to make up for it. I'm going to bet on myself. 
and he rejected the $30 million average offer that he got last season, took the risk on playing on a franchise tag in case if he got injured, which he did get injured, but he still bet on himself and he got that contract and um, kind of forced the Cowboys hand in paying him handsomely in this new contract extension. So, I mean, the crazy thing that I see from this contract extension that it's only four years, if I mean, for, for Dak Prescott, that's great because if nothing transpires with this Cowboys team in the four years, he can pack up his bag and he can head out to free agency and he'll still only be 31 years old. So he'll still be in his prime. So, I mean, that's a win-win situation for Dak Prescott. And then you want to talk about the Cowboys. I wouldn't say they're losers, but I would definitely not say they're winners. I mean, they didn't offer Dak the contract, like I said, last year. Um, and kind of forced them to pay him more money this year with uh, the likes of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson's contracts this season. And teams nowadays, they're going to be looking at this as an example for quarterbacks uh, wanting to pay their franchise quarterbacks. I mean, you look at the teams that have quarterbacks coming up for contract extensions, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, the Bills with Josh Allen, the Browns with Baker Mayfield. Those guys are all due to be free agents pretty soon. So, if anything, this entire Dak Prescott situation should kind of show that, okay, maybe we should just pay what they want right now because come next season, if we don't pay them and just franchise tag them, the price tag is only going to be higher. So I think if you're those teams, you you guys want to get a contract done. But as for the Cowboys and uh, the and Dak Prescott, I mean, this offense is elite. They've been top five the last three seasons uh, minus last season given uh Dak Prescott's injury but you could definitely tell as soon as Dak Prescott got injured last year every single offensive player's production went down you look at Mari Cooper you look at Zeke Elliott you look at CeeDee Lamb all of their production went down and I mean yeah I know it's a big price tag and especially given with the salary cap now lowering from last season it's going to be tough to work out especially since you need to work on that defense a lot if you want to be a contender the Cowboys need to work on that defense because two seasons ago they had the best offense in the entire NFL and nothing to show for in the playoffs because their defense didn't show up. So Cowboys are kind of in a sticky situation right now, but they did lock up their franchise quarterback um, for a hefty, hefty price, but they did it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the way I look at it as is like you can either pay now or pay later. I mean, that's a general thing in life. Like, you know, I'm a procrastinator, <laughs> master, because like, that's and my middle name. I mean, bro, like you can either pay now or you can pay later. And you always know, like, if you just get it out the way and just do what you got to do and handle your business, then like you'll have so much like not to worry about. But once you procrastinate and you let it just linger on and on and on and it starts getting down to the last minute, you already know that it's like, man, damn, I could have avoided all of this if I would have just taken care of business. And plus, Think about it. Like the Cowboys were in like such a bad situation. Like had they given Dak the contract that he probably wanted last season, then they would have avoided all of this and they could have definitely saved some money. But on the same token, they didn't know that COVID was going to be a situation. It's like, it's always like, once you like start waiting around, like, um, like I remember, like I was trying to do a paper and then all of a sudden, like my computer would not turn on or the printer wouldn't work or, you know, the ink or I was wrong. I had no ink in my printer. I'm like, bro, like it's always something at the last minute that doesn't want to work. And you're like, damn, bro, I could have avoided all this had I just taken care of business. And like I got like 30 minutes to get this paper in. So it's the same situation. Like if you don't take care of your business, then you're going to look and watch your business take care of you. So. 
the Cowboys, I think on one end, you would say like, like you said, cause they're not a loser here, but they just don't, it doesn't from public perspective, it doesn't look good on their part that they're overpaying a guy that some people would say is like, not, uh, he's not a high tier quarter. He's not, they don't consider him in the same realm of Mahomes or even some people don't even think that he's just as good as Deshaun Watson. So I personally think that the Cowboys are going to feel good about this because even though they had to overpay a little bit, you'd rather have Dak in the building than not have Dak because you've already seen what not having Dak looked like. And you don't want to have multiple seasons of not having a quarterback or relying on Andy Dalton. I remember last season, somebody said that they'd rather see Andy Dalton over Dak Prescott. And I thought like bringing in Andy Dalton was a nice safety net. But man, that did not turn out well. And that worked out well for Dak Prescott because it was like, hey, um, do we even need to negotiate? Because if I leave, y'all going to be right back to where y'all were in the NFC lease. I think I know who you're talking about who said that too, but name shall not be said. So, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is Dak Prescott has the potential to be a top five quarterback. He definitely does. And I mean, it doesn't help that his offensive line the past two years have been so banged up. His two tackles, Tyron Smith and Leo Collins, have been banged up. Zach Martin banged up. His center, Travis uh, Frederick, retired. So, I mean, it's been really tough for the Cowboys, but I mean – I would definitely take this as a win for the Cowboys in terms of an offseason, because if Dak would have walked, uh, it just would have been all bad for the Cowboys. We had another big signing. This happened last week, but since we were talking about the MLB, we didn't get to it. So let's talk about it. We have J.J. Watt signing with the Arizona Cardinals. Two years, $31 million, $23 million guaranteed. He's reunited with his old teammate, DeAndre Hopkins. And D-Hop posted a picture of him and Watt saying, let's finish what we started. So what are your thoughts on this signing, Corey? I mean... Uh, it's like you said, like JJ where, where did you say he was going? Because I said I said the Buffalo Bills. I said the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, so, <laughs> so we were both wrong. I, mean, I was wrong, <laughs> but I he went to the he went to that division, and I was like, damn, like the NFC, the NFC West just keep getting better and better and better. And the way that he announced it was just so funny. He was like, source me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, that that was hilarious. But um, I like the fact that because we said like as initially I wasn't sure if he was going to do like a one year or if he was going to do like how many years he was going to do. I like the fact that Arizona got him on a two year deal, but there are some little bit of concern. I mean, like you said, because like JJ Watt has had a history of being injury prone, and if you pair him up with this Arizona team, like you can maybe take, have him take some plays off, but at the same time, if he gets hurt, it might be a, like a whole, like Terrell Suggs 2.0 all over again. Cause like when they signed T Suggs, a lot of people thought that was a good signing for them. And that lo and behold, didn't turn out too well because he was injury prone when he got to Arizona. So, I mean, we'll see what, uh, how effective JJ Watt is going to be. You already got, <laughs> The LA Rams talking about how uh, Aaron Donald's the real number 99. <laughs> so, I mean, like, Got it's going to be NFC really fun. West that rivalry. division just keeps getting so much fun as far as competitive. And it seems like each mm-hmm. team is trying to just one up each other. 
And then you think about the fact that the 49ers are going to get healthy. And then you look at how Arizona played last year. You're thinking that they're going to try to improve on what they did a season ago. Like it's all this, it's time. If you're in the NFC West, it's time to just put your chips in the center of the table and just go for it. And I feel like Arizona did a good job of being able to secure a guy who has veteran leadership is going to have a veteran presence in that locker room is a good guy is a guy that you can rely upon. Won't get any stupid off the field situations. And you just can pretty much bring him in to be a, a really good presence to a team that I think needs that leadership on both sides of the football. I mean, you have given Kyler Murray weapons to handle, but I think one of the glaring issues with Arizona was the fact that defensively they did have some issues that they needed to sew up. And with, with, Credit to Arizona seeing their weakness and trying to, you know, add on to it with adding on to their pass rush and forcing um, the quarterback to have to get the ball out of his hands quicker. It's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to be able to uh, improve defensively or how they look defensively. Are they going to look the same? Are they going to be better? I mean, you would hope that they look better with J.J. Watt, but I mean, we thought the same thing as far as when uh, Seattle made the trade to get uh, Jamal Adams and, (laughs) <laughs> needless to say it was a uh, it was um, some mixed feelings about that but we'll see what they do in year two but overall I think JJ Watt is a really good signing for Arizona I like the contract that they got him on and it's not like three or four year contract so they're not really dedicating you know too much time to him and it's only two years so if it doesn't pan out probably gonna you can always cut him at the end of the day I think the two-year deal was great just because when those two years are up is when they're going to have to pay Kyler Murray as well, too. So it kind of, they lined it up great, but you want to talk about a nightmare for offensive tackles. How about Chandler Jones and JJ Watt coming off the edge for the Cardinals It's going to be scary. Cause both those guys ranked one and two in the league with most sacks since 2012 Jones with 97 and Watt with 95 and a half. So, I mean, they, they definitely bolstered that up and, I mean, with this wild card expansion that happened last season, is it possible that all the NFC West teams make the playoffs? <laughs> it wouldn't it's, be surprising. I say that. It's it's. I mean, it's a it's a it's a long stretch, but I mean, it, it's crazy. It's a possibility given how, with how these teams. And then you talk about JJ Watt and Chandler Jones. You look at the left tackles in the NFC West. Trent Williams for the 49ers is now a free agent. The Seahawks are just a shit show when it comes to their offensive line. (laughs) And then you look at the LA Rams, Andrew Whitworth is, I think he's hitting 37 or 38 years old and he's on an expiring contract. So who knows if he even just retires. So, I mean, they got a great edge rush duo in these two guys in uh, a a division with depleted offensive tackles. So I think this was a great signing for them. And then last season, you looked at the Cardinals secondary, they took a big step in the right direction with Byron Murphy having a great season, Buddha Baker having an amazing season. And then their first round pick last season, Isaiah Simmons got better as the season went along. So, I mean, if you get Chandler Jones from back from injury and JJ Watt as well, add it to this defense, they're going to look great. And this Cardinals defense is going to look like they'll be able to hang with the NFC West because they just missed out on the playoffs last season. But I think it is all contingent on the duo of Chandler Jones and JJ Watt and whether they can stay healthy because as productive as they are, they're just, they're not as durable as they are productive. They're, they're, seem to be made of glass and have a, a history of being injured. So that's going to be the big thing for the Arizona Cardinals on the defensive end. But, hey, if they can stay healthy and, you know, get the job done, I see Arizona in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I thought they would make the playoffs last year too. To be honest, I did too. I thought they would be and a wild card team, but they just missed out. So I mean, who's to say that this time uh, they they switch it up and they make it? But somewhere Russell Wilson is saying, "God damn!" <laughs> there's a reason why there's trade talks with Russell like, Wilson. Yo, saying, get me out this division. Get me out of this division. I got Nick Bosa now. JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, Aaron Donald. All these guys gonna like, be chasing me, and I have no O line. It's like, right. bro, I'm tired right. of getting this cardio in every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, since we're on the topic of contracts in the NFL offseason, the franchise tag deadline just passed, and there were some notable guys that got franchise tagged and some that didn't. Let's start with the guys that did get franchise tagged. We had Justin Simmons of the Bronco, Marcus May of the Jets, Taylor Moten from the Panthers, Leonard Williams from the Giants, Brandon Trey from the Washington football team, Chris Godwin from the Buccaneers, Cam Robinson from the Jaguars, Allen Robinson from the Bears, Marcus Williams from the Saints. All those guys got franchise tagged. And out of these guys, which franchise tag surprised you the most, Corey? I would say it was a combination of uh, A-Rob from the Bears and uh, Leonard Williams from the Giants because there was talks that Leonard Williams was supposed to be getting – he was – like the Giants were trying to negotiate a contract uh, extension with him and they did not want to franchise tag him, but I guess they waited to the the last minute and – no negotiation could get done, so they, they had pulled to the Corey. Just had to procrastination. <laughs> they, they had to just go ahead and say, "Hey, you just gonna take this franchise tag?" But A Rob, I mean, like, I get it because I think A Rob was not gonna resign with them. I think A Rob was probably just gonna be like, he was liking tweets about uh, Kenny Galladay, who we'll get into in a bit, but he didn't get franchise tagged. And then Tory Smith, uh, ex NFL wide receiver, said. Getting the franchise tag sucks. And Kenny, I mean, uh, Allen Robinson had liked both of these tweets. So, I mean, you could definitely tell he did not want to get franchise tag. Yeah, because I feel like he was trying to get up out of Chicago, to be honest with you, and try to test the waters in a free agency. But Chicago's like, hey, not so fast, buddy. (laughs) Not so fast, buddy. Well, I mean, if they they get Russell Wilson, I think he'd more than happy to be. That's a big A, but they got to be able to to get the trade. uh, Right, right. Got to get that trade together though that's the only thing like right now he's he's looking at nick Foles as his quarterback and he's like big dick nick i don't know about that so like i said that's all dependent on if they are able to get like a russell wilson or potentially a deshaun watson in the trade but ultimately i think a rob is probably looking like damn stuck here got nowhere to go and like leonard williams i'm like he had a big time year coming off of uh he did uh coming you know coming to the other side of uh New, Jersey, New York New York yeah going to the Giants so I think that both those guys were kind of looking at trying to get either long term deals or get the get to free agency and it's like nope not so fast yeah but those are definitely think of Chris Godwin getting a franchise tag that one was definitely surprising to me given that I think. The Buccaneers are going to bring back uh, Antonio Brown, and then they already have Mike Evans. Uh, and then depending on whether they bring back Gronk and they have OJ Howard. So, I mean, it, it was it, that was definitely an interesting one, but Cause they got a lot of people that they'd have to pay. And right. it was like all dependent on like who was going to be that person that was going to be on the tag. And like, I mean, if I'm the Buccaneers, I'm, I would have gone after Shaq Barrett over Chris Godwin but I mean I don't blame him Chris Godwin has been super productive the last two seasons so I mean it was great but I mean Leonard Williams 19.3 million dollar franchise tag in Allen Robinson an 18 million dollar franchise tag so those are definitely 
pricey franchise tags for them. But the one that surprised me the most, I'm going to go with Cam Robinson for $14.5 million. Definitely surprised me. I get that they have the number one pick, the Jags. They're going to get uh, Trevor Lawrence, so they need a guy to protect his blind side. But Cam Robinson really hasn't improved since his rookie season, and he missed most of the 2018 regular season with a torn left ACL. But I think he's a great run blocker, pass blocker, not so much. And when you have a franchise young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that you are going to get, I think he, there was that money – could have been spent better. I mean, you have Trent Williams, like I said, who kind of revived his career in San Francisco, could have gone after him for a year before you figure it out. Or, I mean, the biggest thing for me was there's uh, the reason why it surprised me is because Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, there was a lot of stuff with the Baltimore Ravens. He had played his first two seasons as right tackle. And then Ronnie Stanley was playing left tackle for the Ravens, but Ronnie Stanley went out with a season ending injury. They moved uh, Orlando Brown to his original position that he played in college at left tackle. And he kind of voiced his opinion on Twitter, basically saying, I'm a left tackle. I don't want to play right tackle anymore. So it kind of puts the Ravens in a sticky situation, but Orlando Brown is a great uh, offensive tackle. And I think they could have gone and paid the price and traded for Orlando Brown and had a franchise left tackle. Cause I, I think he's only 23 years old, so he's very young. So, and, and he can do it both in the pass and the run game. And he still has two years on his rookie contract team friendly deal. So I'm surprised that they went Cam Robinson when they definitely had other options that they could have gone with, but I guess it was more for the security of making sure they have a decent left tackle for Trevor Lawrence, but still. Yeah, I get that. And then some notable players that were not franchise tag. We have Bud Dupree of the Steelers, Juju Smith from the Steelers, Yannick Ngakwe from the Ravens, Kenny Galladay, as I mentioned, from the Lions, Hunter Henry from the Chargers, Chris Carson, Seahawks, Aaron Jones from the Packers, Janu Smith from the Titans, Joe Thune from the Patriots, Shaquille Griffin from the Seahawks, John Johnson from the Rams, and Shaquille Barrett from the Buccaneers. Bear with me. I know that was a long list, but these are all very notable players that did not get franchise tagged. So which out of these players, or if there's any other players, which one are you surprised I didn't get franchise tag? Um, I guess I'm more so surprised that the, that the Lions did not want to help Jared Goff by keeping Kenny Galladay around. Um, just for the simple fact that like you make this trade and I get, it's supposed to be a rebuilding process, but like at the same time, if you're going to rebuild, you would hope that you would give the guy who's supposed to be, you know, your quarterback, something to work with. Like, at least like when Matthew Stafford was there in his younger years, he could always rely on Megatron and just throw it up to Megatron. But <laughs> I'm just like, who, who is Jared Goff going to throw the ball to now? <laughs> He's going to have to be like Marcus Mariota and throw the ball to himself. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I have Kenny Galladay as well. He's, I mean, given last season, he was plagued with injuries, only had 20 total catches in the season. But if you look at his 2019 season exactly. where he was healthy, almost had 1200 yards and 11 touchdowns. So he was a stud back then. And like you said, with Jared Goff, you just traded for him. So, but I guess they're looking to go in a completely new direction because they have a brand new QB, brand new head coach, brand new GM. So, but the reason why I'm surprised Galladay didn't get franchise tag is because the Lions have two of their top uh, two receivers hitting free agency in Galladay and then Marvin Jones. So either the Lions are looking to rebuild their receiving core through the draft or through free agency because I, I really don't know why they wouldn't get Galladay because I thought they'd tag him as an expensive prove-it contract to them to, to have him for another healthy season. And if he plays well, then, hell, give him a contract extension because I believe Galladay was looking to stay in Detroit. So 
either the Lions, uh, I mean, you look at Goff. He had Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, both Pro Bowl wide receivers, and he still struggled to get the job done. So if you take away Marvin Jones and you take away Kenny Galladay, what the hell is he going to do? They're going to be in big trouble um, in Detroit. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, but if you're going to be over you, there, they're going to be over terrorizing teams and destroying kneecaps, though. So no, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. It'll be interesting. <laughs> But get get this, Kenny Galladay's first 47 games, and if you match it up with Calvin Johnson's first 47 games, Galladay, 3,068 yards and 21 touchdowns. Calvin Johnson, 3,166 yards and 22 touchdowns. So hey. very similar numbers hey. in their 47 for, uh, first 47 games in Detroit. So it looks like Detroit's letting another great wide receiver slip through their hands. Uh, but I mean, hey, at least Galladay... he didn't have to retire to get out of Detroit. I mean, he was able to <laughs> just not get franchise tagged. And he was like, finally, free. Definitely. Free. But yeah, Galladay is definitely going to be the top receiver in free agency. So he's going to be hot commodity. Um, but speaking of hot commodity, which one of these players do you think is the most intriguing free agent? I think uh, I think it depends between Shaquille Barrett because I know he wants to. He says that he wants to return with Tampa Bay, but if another team's able to tempt him, then that would be very interesting. And then also Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, I think he he will probably maybe try to look to stay with Pittsburgh, but he is a receiver. You know, deeper wide receivers are looking to always make sure that they got that bag secure. And, you know, Juju's a big personality. He's got commercial after commercial, endorsement after endorsement. Who's to say that he's like, TikToks on TikToks. Yeah, TikToks <laughs> on TikToks. So I'm like, who's to say that he's like, hey, Pittsburgh has been cool and all, but I'm trying to go ahead and win. So that way I can up my stock and make, make sure that I look good in the process. So, I mean, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if Juju is lured away or same thing with Shaquille Barrett because, Shaquille Barrett, like you said, because throughout the entire playoffs, he was a tremendous reason why they got that Lombardi in Tampa. Because let's face facts, he was the leader of that defense and a big part as to why teams just struggled to generate any sort of offense. Like, dude was flying all around the field. Yeah. I mean, you know, Juju's going to want that money for that Corvette, Corvette. Corvette, Corvette. (laughs) But uh, for me, I mean, like you said, Shaq Barrett, Kenny Galladay, Aaron Jones, those are all the big sexy names that are in free agency. But I'm going to go with a guy who's a little on the quieter side, and I'm going to go with John Johnson from the L.A. Rams. I think with guys like Marcus May, Marcus Williams, and Justin Simmons all getting franchise tagged, the safety market is pretty depleted. And uh, John Johnson has had a hell of a contract year last year, moving from strong safety to free safety, and I think it just helped. It helped the Rams defense, obviously, be that number one defense in the NFL. But having that contract here is definitely going to help him out in free agency. And like I mentioned with those guys that got franchise tagged, it just made the safety position that more depleted in free agency and helped his market skyrocket and uh, his value. I wouldn't and- also be surprised if uh, Aaron Jones from the Packers, uh, he's probably going to walk and he's probably going to get a nice little payday because I feel like there's so many teams that need a solid running back that – you know, I feel like he's not like Kamara or anything like that. He's more like just a pounding ground type dude. Like you give him the rock and he can go. And I feel like there's a lot of teams that can use that, especially if they're struggling offensively. The run is going to open up, you know, the passing game. So I know this is a nice, you know, passing league and it's all about, you know, 
throwing and airing it out, but who's to say that he goes to a team and they're just like, yo, let's establish the run through Aaron Jones and let's make sure that we get our offense cooking. Cause I feel like the Packers drafted a running back this past year to, because they already saw the writing on the wall. They knew that they weren't going to be able to resign Aaron Jones and they were probably going to have to, you know, watch him walk, but they probably hoped that he would help, help them get to a Super Bowl. But with Aaron Jones, I think running backs. I'm not a firm believer in paying running backs that much money because I think I'm not, that but I feel like is one of the most gotta, replaceable yeah. ones. Of course, of course, I'm not so, either. But I just, I just feel like he he might garner like a nice little market depending on. Yeah, uh, that that's for sure. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm a team. I don't know if I'd throw him a lot. No, of I wouldn't throw him like you know anything crazy. I would probably throw him a. But he is a top running back in the league. I of will course, like he's that. like the top running back. Uh, on a lot of people's uh, free agent boards. Yeah. But for John Johnson, I could see maybe three or four teams trying to sign him. And that's the chargers, the Niners, the Cowboys and Falcons, all teams that need uh safeties. And I mean, you look at him and I think who is it? Anthony Harris from the Vikings. Those are really the only two guys in free agency that are like, okay, if we bring them, they can be playmakers on our defense. So secondary. So, and he's only 25, John Johnson's only 25. So, and he's played all 16 games in three out of his four seasons. So, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of positives for John Johnson. So we'll see. Let's move on. We got NBA news, NBA all-star weekend, or you can say all-star day. What just passed uh, this past Sunday. So let's get a little recap. The skills challenge. DeMontis Sabonis won. Three-point contest. Steph Curry won. Dunk contest. Anthony Simmons won. Um, and all-star game. Team LeBron won with Giannis winning MVP. Uh, what were your thoughts on all-star day, all-star weekend, all-star break, whatever? I mean, it was so funny, bro, because uh i didn't watch i watched a little bit of the all-star game but it, it was really sloppy to watch that game i'm not gonna lie but it was cool seeing lillard and uh curry taking half court shots like they were shooting like they were just shooting them like they weren't shooting them how like a desperation attempt like they're literally pulling up like yeah this three-point line yeah i got this this is my range like they're over here pulling up from half court like it's just nothing i'm like god dang and then steph curry man i mean three-point contest more like a free throw contest for this man like he's literally just like nothing nothing <laughs> and that 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 dunk contest man that that <laughs> i low-key feel like cassius stanley got so robbed i feel like he got completely robbed not even get a single 10 on his first dunk after that i was kind of like yeah i'm checked out i'm kind of checked out after that i was like wow disrespect and I'm like, yo, I get it. Like, a lot of y'all's legends, like, they had Dominique up there, Jay Rich up there. But not to get a single 10? And they was giving everybody else 10s for, like, mid to okay dunks? I'm like, dang. After that, I was kind of like, yeah, this is going to be one of those one of those bad dunk contests. And it did not even – I can't even say it was a bad dunk contest. I, I was just it? wish they wouldn't have had it. At, like, I just wish they probably wouldn't have had it. If they would have had probably, like, you know – Levine and you know some some of like other high flyers like maybe Derrick Jones Jr. Or well, I I think the three that they had were amazing, but yeah, it was just solid ones. Just, I just really think the judges screwed up that entire contest. After the so. first dunk, it was kind of like, well, you know, Aaron Gordon was somewhere, literally just laughing like this is this is why, <laughs> why I'm not do doing the dunk. No yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is exactly why I don't do this no more, and I don't blame him. 
Yeah, a few takeaways for me with All-Star Day. First of all, DeMontis Sabonis, he's slowly becoming one of my favorite big men in the league. And I kind of like how underrated he is because let's keep it that way. Because I, Yeah, so and then like you said, Steph Curry, I don't think this guy is human, to be honest. We already discussed this in overtime, how he is hands down the greatest shooter of all time. And he Robots. just continued to show how he is. Um, and then dunk contest judges were on some shit. I need to know what they were because <laughs> the scores they were giving out bullshit. Like Josh Smith, how do you give an eight on that? Homeboy went self bounced alley oop between the legs, jumped off the same foot, finished with it. Like it's insane to me how Cassius Stanley and it's it it's, it pisses me off because Cassius Stanley was my guy who I thought was gonna. I was like, yo, repping Sierra Canyon and everything. I'm like, bro, like I'm well, like, homeboy guys, bunnies get up off the ground like all he does is go yeah. crazy with dunks i'm like bro this and is, i this i had a i had a feeling like uh hamadou diallo from the yeah. thunder i thought like how he won the dunk contest kind of put himself on the map and then right. he like slowly started getting into okc's rotation i kind of thought that's how it, this was going to be with Cassius stanley like he yeah. put himself on the map because I mean, he like the same thing happened with zach levine like when he won the dunk contest because not a lot of people knew like as far as NBA casual fans knew who Zach Levine was. Yeah. Like, the only reason I knew about him because he went to UCLA um, right. and he got drafted uh, by, by Minnesota. But when he went crazy in that dunk contest with Aaron Gordon, which is probably like the best dunk contest. I think that's the greatest, the greatest. Since, yeah. We've been like, that's the best ones in like the past decade, at least I would say. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. So like, it's been a while since like we've had a dunk contest on that level consistently every single year, but Hey, I mean, like, I remember there was a while where, like, the D-League, now called the G-League, had, like, the craziest dunk contest. Like, go and look on YouTube. Like, the D-League had, like, the craziest dunk contest. These dudes was out here. No gimmicks whatsoever. No cards nothing. Like, these guys were literally pulling off dunks. Like, what the heck? Like, it was, like, ridiculous stuff, bro. Like, if you haven't seen it, go look it up on YouTube right now. I'm telling you. Yeah. You will not regret it. But shout out to Anthony Simons. Yeah, shout out to Anthony um, Simons. I feel like this was a good... Even him. though, even though he didn't even kiss the rim, <laughs> but you know why he didn't kiss the rim, right? He would have bust his head. No, not only that, he saw Rudy Gobert dunking in games. So he said, "I'm not touching that rim." He said, "I'm not touching that rim." After Rudy dunked it on that rim a oh, couple oh, times, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. But um, Man, that's so true. To the All Star Game, Team Durant's charity must be livid. Because Team LeBron won every single quarter and the game. So, you know, Team Durant's charity got no money. Well, they probably got some money, but they, they didn't get the oh, extra yeah, they money. Did, they did. But, yeah. like, when they were doing the draft, <laughs> the end, though, <laughs> when it was Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, oh, LeBron yeah. did not have to say what he had to say. Because at first, when I heard, like, he said that, I was LeBron, like, oh. LeBron was trifling. He like, was just. I'm like, man, I thought that they asked him a question or something like that about, like, oh, why'd you guys you know, pick Utah jazz players. Like, no, he just decided to say that on his own. He's like, before y'all say anything, like we never really played with the jazz. I'm like, if I was KD, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I play with the jazz all the time. <laughs> yeah. He was taking slight jabs at the jazz and with the Clippers too. He said, I would never, I don't want to pick this guy. Cause he's my rival. When he was talking yeah, about Paul George, I know, right. It was funny, but I mean, there were people that were like low key surprised that, and I'm not even gonna lie, I, I'm I was low key surprised he picked Steph, because I, I at first I was thinking like he's not gonna, I'm like he's probably not gonna pick Steph on his team, and KD's probably gonna pick Steph, but like 
I like well, I KD KD going with Kyrie with his that first made the pick most kinda, sense. That was like it like, did, so, but that kind of messed up the entire draft oh, for it KD. Did, did, like really if KD did. went with Steph, you know it would have been a lot closer of a game. Yeah, that if he would have gone like either Steph or Kawhi or you know something like that, but like you know, hey, yeah. But I mean, Giannis going perfect from the field winning uh, All Star <laughs> Game MVP. So I mean. Free. I bet yeah. Milwaukee fans are like, do this in a real game, my guy. He was he was banking shit in too. So I mean, it was just one of those days for Giannis. And I mean, if he can take this All Star momentum into the second half of the season, you the Eastern Conference that, has yeah. to watch out because sure. I mean, the Bucks are only what two and a half games behind first. So I mean, we talk about how bad or how not bad, but disappointing they are this season. But I mean, they're only two and a half games out of first place. So I mean, anything can happen. And then, like you said. Damon Curry literally just pulling up from half court, shooting them like they were free throws. Like literally, I think I'm pretty sure them two total went like three for five or something like that from half court shots, which is absolutely crazy. Like the only two dudes I feel like in the league that when I see them pull from from pull like that, I'm like, yeah, that that's probably gonna go in. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's probably gonna go in. Anybody else pull like that? I'm like, I don't think that's going in, but. Dame shot Dame shooting from half court was so crazy that it made Paul George apologize to t- saying <laughs> yeah. basically like, "Hey, okay, that was a good shot. Exactly. That was a good shot. The exactly. one that you made on me." Like, I do this. I do this. Man. Yeah. So that's how impactful those half court All Star game shots were. But it was just insane. Um, but all in all, I think I wouldn't say it was a disappointing All Star day or weekend, but it definitely wasn't as exhilarating as it is normally. Yeah. Um, especially last year with the All Star game, how like close it came down to the wire. Dudes literally yeah, just yeah, clamping yeah. up yeah. in that fourth quarter. Like it was just was it, was, it was not the same. Like yeah, I was like, dang, like we put, like playing defense in the All Star game. It's like, is this the nineties? And like straight, like <laughs> I remember that that possession with Giannis and LeBron where Giannis like blocked them twice. And they were like going right. all out. I was like, right. damn, this is the All Star game that people wanted to watch so we were hoping for that but it didn't really transpire that way but it is what it is we got the second half of the season but since the first half of the season is done let's get into some mid-season nba awards we have rookie of the year coach of the year six man of the year defense player of the year most improving mvp so far from the first half let's start off with rookie of the year uh who do you have Corey? i gotta go with Lamelo ball i'm sitting with the pick that i made before the season was over and i knew that he was it's like Michael Jordan said we knew he was good I didn't think he was gonna translate to the NBA like he's been playing bro I'm like yo ever since he's been a starter averaging over 20 points a game Charlotte right now is in the hunt for a playoff spot I mean like the impact like granted like you know he does have you know you know Gordon Hayward and you know a few players around him Rozier but the playmaking we expected the shooting we expected, the points we expected, but the hustle, I just kind of didn't expect because throughout his entire basketball career, LaMelo Ball has been notoriously known as a guy who doesn't exactly cherry picker back in high school, known as a guy who doesn't really hustle that much. Notice noted he's notoriously known as a guy who just chucks up shots and just wants to, you know, get that, uh, that ball is life uh, mixtape going. But other than that, I mean, I was really surprised. I mean, I would say I was on the level of surprise as like when his brother Lonzo showcased his defense, like Lonzo's defense is just so underrated. Like, and the way that LaMelo is like starting to hustle and try to put his body on the line and die for loose balls and 
flying into the stands and nearly kill himself just to like you know keep his team into the game. I'm like, dang, bro, like he's out here like like a my player over here trying to make the starting five. Like he's really hustling out here. He's he, like, and I think what I thought is is that he would come in with a little too cool for school type swag, and it's like he's having fun and he's over here really trying to mix in with his teammates and not trying to you know think that he's already a star he's just like hey I'm a rookie and I'm just trying to just play my role and trying to just help the team win games and I that's what I've been more so impressed with anything and I think that if he continues to be like that man Golden State apparently Jalen Rose says that there's a rumor that Golden State on draft day told LaMelo Ball that they were going to draft him and they didn't so yeah. I mean this might be the best the best, the best draft pick Michael Jordan has ever had in Charlotte, maybe alongside Kimba Walker. So I mean, like, I mean, that's not really saying a lot. But I mean, like, yo, <laughs> like, I get you, I get you. Like, anytime like a player like starts to play good in Charlotte and he was drafted by Charlotte, you got to take notice and you got to say, Hey, Mike got that one. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, looking like your preseason predictions looking good for this one so far. He's leading all rookies, points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game. And he has, this is the crazy part, he has the most steals out of the entire rookie class. So like you said, the hustle is definitely there. Hornets are sitting in seventh place right now, only a game and a half behind the fourth-seeded Celtics. So, I mean, the Hornets are pushing, and, and they're looking good. But And what LaMelo's been able to do with the ball and kind of – he's not really forcing stuff, but letting the game come to him has been the most impressive part. And then, obviously, being the youngest player ever to record a triple-double in NBA history. So it's looking like he's the clear-cut rookie of the year so far. And he they moved him to the starting lineup. And since they've moved him to the starting lineup in his 15 games – He's averaging over 20 points per game, over six and a half assists per game, over six rebounds per game, and almost two steals a game in 34 minutes. And on shooting splits of 46, 45, 85. So, I mean, like you said, Michael Jordan definitely hit the nail on the head with this one. And Charlotte has a future superstar in their possession. Let's move on. Coach of the year. I'll go first. I got Quinn Snyder. I think this is a fairly easy one. Uh, the Jazz have the best record in the league with, I guess you could say no superstars. I would. They definitely have all-stars, as we saw, but I wouldn't call them superstars. Um, and they're playing team basketball, getting full contributions from everyone on that roster. Not a lot of people expect the Jazz to have the best record come all-star break, let alone be in the top three seed in the Western Conference. But like, so to have the best record in the entire league is, is pretty crazy. And then Quinn Snyder has been able to implement and execute a system that has been so efficient on the offensive end and very staunch and hounding on the defensive end and they're the only team in the nba to be top five in offense and defense and they're actually number two in both so you could just say top two in the entire league so i mean that that's a huge huge credit to coaching and that's why i think quinn snyder gets the coach of the year I agree with that. I would say uh, he's definitely, I would say, the front runner, but I would not sleep on Phoenix's Monty Williams. Monty Williams, The way Monty Williams has Phoenix playing right now. I mean, the funny thing is, is that Devin Booker, I would say, is like, he is supposed to be like their best player, but I would say their most important player is Chris Paul. I mean, Chris Paul's health is dependent upon whether or not Phoenix is the way that they're playing right now because this man's value is just he's just really flexing on how valuable he is because every single time chris paul goes on a team 
he's going to improve that team and make that team better. Like throughout his entire career, he's done that. And I Statistics feel like show it. it's just amazing. Like no one expected OKC to make the playoffs last year. I would say that people expected uh, Phoenix to get into the playoffs, but I don't think people expected them number to two right now. Number in two in the West fighting for the top seed in the West, bro. Like yeah, I'm like, crazy. what the heck? And that's partly down to Monty Williams because I still don't know why on God's green earth the New Orleans Pelicans fired this man because he was a really good coach. And I felt like he's always been a really good guy as far as uh, in the the NBA coaching tree. And I'm just glad that he was able to get another shot as a head coaching job in Phoenix and finally getting the respect that he so very much deserves as far as a, a national basis with Phoenix because it's been a, a cool minute since anybody's ever like really put him in that sort of bracket of being potentially coach of the year. I would say Quinn Snyder is the favorite right now, but I would not be shocked if Monty Williams was able to go ahead and get that one. Yeah. And I mean, it sucks because Chris Paul is not going to put up the numbers that are sexy for MVP voters. But I mean, you want to talk literally about the definition of most valuable player, like CP3 is always going to be up there. 100%. I agree with that. All right. Sixth man of the year. Who you have, Corey? I got to go with my guy, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, hey, yo, shout out to what Worldwide Woe because I was not even thinking about putting Jordan Clarkson as my sixth man of the year. He put me on. He was like, yo, go and put Jordan Clarkson. And I was like, hmm. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, he did have a solid bubble. And I'm like, might translate to this NBA season. And man, has that translated so well. I mean, Jordan Clarkson is out here balling, bro. He's out here balling, and he just, I think, takes Utah to a whole different level. Being able to bring him off the bench when when he was starting with the Cavs, he was irrelevant, and now he just got revived when he went to Utah. So, I mean, this dude has gone through an up-and-down career, but I feel like he's now finally starting to figure out how to, you know, be a professional and how to be a, a – a mainstream player in the NBA. He's not, he's not the flashiest guy. He's not, you know, the, the, the well-known guy, but he's definitely able to get a bucket and he's definitely able to play make and able to get guys in the right position. So I think he's very, very much a key part as to why the Utah jazz are where they are. You also can talk about, you know, Bogdanovich as far as his value too, but I would say Jordan Clarkson, man, he, him coming off the bench and able to, to go against, second units it's just barbecue chicken for him and he's looking his chops every single time yeah i mean another cory preseason prediction hits again uh i got clarkson looking basically untouched in the six man of the year discussion averaging career high 18 points per game off the bench with a 45 37 97 shooting splits so and that 97 is leading the league in free throw percentage so He's been like that Lou Will for them, whereas Mitchell and Conley, if they're struggling to get it going on offense, Clarkson can just come off the bench and keep defenses on their toes with his shooting and his incredible efficiency from the free throw line. And we look at we look back on that trade, how Utah got Jordan Clarkson from the Cavs. It's looking like a steal. They got Jordan Clarkson for Dante Exum and two second round picks for a guy who's averaging 18 points off the bench and taking this team to another level. Cause as we see, like players off the bench are equally as valuable as some starters on some teams, because they can definitely take that second unit to the next level and uh, keep the flow of the offense in the entire game 
continuing. So that's why Jordan Clarkson, six man of the year. He's looking like there's really nobody else in the discussion for six man of the year. That's kind of how far ahead he is, but we'll see. Second half of the season starting. Let's move on. We got defensive player of the year. I'm going to go with Ben Simmons, probably the most versatile defender in the entire NBA. He's so agile and lengthy that he can legit guard the one through five and excel at guarding all five of those positions very well. So He's he made the all defensive team last year. He was a steals leader last year as well. And he should be repeating at least all defensive team for sure. But I think he's going to win the hardware this year as well too, and get defensive player of the year. I guess one of the players that is making a case is Rudy Gobert as well. But Ben Simmons, I think he takes it upon himself to guard the best offensive player on the other team. And he takes it upon himself to, um, you know, kind of shut down their playmaker or their facilitator. And you look at some of the guys he's locked up, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic. I remember there's when he was playing Luka Doncic, he uh, was guarding him for, I think eight minutes or something like that, that span. And in that span, he held him to six points, one assist, and four turnovers. So seeing what Luka Doncic has been doing this season, for Ben Simmons to do something like that is insane. And I, I guess you could say, but Rudy Gobert, he's number one in all the defensive stats. Like, he's been amazing. And, yes, he is. And that's why I think he's really the under competition for defense player of the year. But Rudy Gobert gave up 40-plus points to Joel Embiid and 40-plus points to Ben Simmons with no Joel Embiid. And Ben Simmons can't even take a damn jump shot. So, I mean, the the fact that those two guys were able to put up 40-plus points on him was, is pretty crazy, but then that's why I'm going to give it to Ben Simmons as Defensive Player of the Year. Who do you have, Corey? To be fair, he is guarding an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid, who, True. by the way, is also somewhat in that conversation for DPOY. And I think that depending on how the season goes and if they're both able to stay healthy and if you have both of them competing – and, and playing very much well on the defensive end. Like, it's tough when you have two guys who are playing solid defense and are both candidates. So I don't know if they will, like, you know, maybe even each other out. Because when you look at defense and you talk about defense, you already know with the Utah Jazz, yes, they're playing good, solid team defense, but that anchor down low is Rudy Gobert. Like you said, leaves all categories as far as defensive. Because, <laughs> like, that's all he's going to do is just mainly play defense and get dunks. So Reminds me a lot of Ben Wallace with the Pistons. They were such great key, team defenses, but Ben Wallace was that anchor. In, I would say that, that Ben defense. Wallace can give, like, a little bit more on the offensive end. That's the only reason I would definitely – more so lean more towards Ben Wallace than Rudy Gobert. It's not a knock on Rudy Gobert. It's just, I would more so lean on Ben Wallace just because of the fact that he was going up, he was in a solid team around him that was able to more so dominate offensively. So he didn't really have to worry about playing offense all that much or have to be so be relied upon, but he could get a bucket. Like when they needed, when they needed, uh, when Detroit needed Ben Wallace to maybe like show up a little bit more offensively, he could turn up. But he's just always renowned for his defense, which also you know, Ben Wallace is only six nine and Rudy Gobert seven one. True that. So, so I'm like, yo, like, <laughs> that's why I got to give Ben Wallace a little bit more props because I'm like, yo, he's not a seven footer, four time so, defensive and he was, player. Like, of the year. Blocking shots at the rim, meeting mm-hmm. uh, you know guys. So I'm like, yeah. But Rudy Gobert, getting back to him, like the the reason that I would put him more so as the favorite to go ahead and get this uh, DPOY and go ahead and I would give it to him right now. It's like you said, he's leading the defensive categories and. I agree with you as far as like the Simmons angle of it, of he can guard one through four, but 
one through five. Yeah. I say he could guard centers as well too. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can see that. It depends on which. I, mean, I, I feel like you can. He's versatile. I'll say that he's very versatile. Rudy Gobert. I feel like you know if he goes down, then I feel like Utah's defense is going to take a major, major hit. Whereas if Ben Simmons goes, gets you know is out of the lineup, yes. It's a big hit to the defense of Philly, but at the same time, you still got Joel Embiid down there too. So, I mean, he's a DPOY candidate in his own right. So that's the only reason I would probably lean more towards uh, Rudy than, uh, than Ben Simmons. All right, let's move on. We got most improved player. Who do you have, Corey? I'm going with Mr. Julius Randle out of the New York Knickerbockers. New York Knickerbockers got themselves an all-star this year, Kush. Like, Julius Randle was surprising everybody with his all-star appearance and not only that is he an all-star but he has helped the knicks this young spritled knicks team into a potential fifth seed in the eastern conference they're ahead of so many different teams that i'm like wow the knicks have really really surpassed a lot of expectations and they're not even above i think they're barely above they're either at 500 or they're like they're barely, barely above they're 19 yeah. and 18 right now yeah they're like one game above 500 so i'm like the fact that they're even in this situation itself is like it's just laughable but at the same mm-hmm. time it just to me shows that hey maybe the knicks are finally taking that next step and finally hitting that turning point and because of their their position and the way that julius Randle is playing right now finally and i feel like it's gonna be like the same effect of Brandon Ingram, although I think that because Julian Randle does play in the New York market, which is a major market, we have to, you know, acknowledge that. And then we also have to look at the fact if the Knicks get to the playoffs, I think it's legit just wrapped up for them because even though like you have guys like Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, who for a while, Christian Wood, before he got injured, he was looking like he was probably going to be the favorite to get most improved player. I think the fact that you have a team with the player who has you know a couple seasons ago he did average like 20 points a game that was but this is the second time he's ever averaged 20 points a game this is the best season he's averaging with averaging over 23 points a game and just having a, a, so many contributing factors to it and being like a, the mainstay in the main part of success for this next team as to why they're in a potential playoff spot I think that voters are going to be looking towards giving it to Julius Randle and for that reason I got to go with Julius Randle here but I would I, I definitely see the case for Jeremy Grant, though, and I see that, you know, he's definitely the favorite, but I think they're going to look at, they're going to look at Randall because he is on a major market team and team success Yeah, and the team success as well. So, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a good conversation between those two guys, but I'm gonna go with Jeremy Grant. And basically, if you haven't watched overtime episode number eight, go ahead and do that because I kind of explain why Jeremy Grant is the front runner in uh, most improved player for me. And if you guys have already watched it, then you know why he is. And that's all I'm going to say. All right, let's move on. We got MVP. I'll go first. I got, like Corey said, Joel Embiid. Embiid is literally on a mission to shut up all his doubters and the naysayers. And so far, 76ers have done a great job in doing so. He's averaging 30 points a game, 11 rebounds, a steal and a block and a half while shooting 52% from the field, 41 from three and 85 from the free throw line. So, I mean, when you look at those stats and the efficiency, it's almost unheard of coming from a center who is seven feet tall and 280 pounds. So, I mean, he's on pace to become the first center in the NBA to have 30 points per game in a season since Moses Malone. 
1981-1982. So, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy what Joel Embiid has been able to do this season. And he's definitely helped the Sixers to that number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And he's been healthy throughout the course of the season, which is the main thing why I think he is an MVP front runner because he's always been battling injuries. Um, but easily, he's been one of the most dominating players on both sides of the court. So, and if you look at the Sixers record, 23 and seven with Embiid and without Embiid, they're just one in five. So you want to talk about MVP. That's a definition of most valuable player right there. So that's why I got Joel Embiid as my first half MVP. I definitely see Embiid's case for sure. I think the only thing that will probably hurt him is uh, the fact that Ben Simmons is also tag team alongside him. The reason that I got, like, I know every single year there's probably like a, a LeBron James stand that says this man should be MVP every single year. And there are some cases where I agree, but this year with Anthony Davis going down with the injury, with him leading the league in minutes, and the fact that if he has an off night, the Lakers have struggled and have really struggled against, you know, teams that have not been playing all that well. I think that LeBron James has the best case to win yet another MVP and add that to his resume, just because of the fact that, like I said, AD goes down with an Achilles injury. We don't know what he's going to look like in the second half of the season. We don't know his production level is going to be. And I think that with, with LeBron playing at a high clip and average and playing so many minutes, I think he might, you know, get rest here and there as we head towards the latter stages of the second half of the season and we get closer and closer to the playoffs. But I think at the start of the second half, he's going to be continuously playing night in, night out. He's not – you just expect him not to get injured or anything like that. And then you already know what LeBron James is capable of doing, and we already know the playmaking ability, the shooting ability, the defensive ability, which has gotten extremely better from a few seasons ago. I was like, man, those few seasons ago, when he was back playing – his last season with the Cavs, this man would barely be playing any defense. But shout-out to LeBron for stepping up big time on the defensive side of the ball. And I feel like um, if he has to be, like, the main anchor for – uh for the Lakers and if they don't like add a significant piece or anything like that that um helps step up or provides the same amount of production of AD then yeah the dude is right there with Embiid and you know if LeBron has any sort of chance to be up in the conversation for MVP he's going to get votes and he's going to be there but I just think that it's going to be tough I definitely, you know, wouldn't, you know, argue at all if it be one MVP right now, give it to him. Absolutely. But I would not be shocked whatsoever if LeBron James was able to get that illustrious number. What? What is it? Third MVP? Fourth. Yeah, fourth MVP. I wouldn't be surprised if he got another one. Yeah. I mean, can't you can never argue against LeBron. He does it in in and out every single season. He deserves to be in the MVP conversation. So I could definitely see that. All right, and then we have some big news in the NBA as well with Blake Griffin, the six-time All-Star forward, is signing with the Nets. I almost said New Jersey Nets. <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets uh, for the rest of the season after being bought out by the Detroit Pistons. Signed a veteran minimum contract and will be teaming up with the likes of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and his old Lob City teammate, DeAndre Jordan. 
And uh, with the buyout, Griffin accepted a $63 million buyout from the Pistons. So he left $13.3 million on the table from what he was owed for the remainder of the contract. But um, the next season, the Pistons will pay him $29.8 million. So he can re-sign with the Nets for the mid-level exception or another veteran minimum with them or another team, depending on uh, what he does in the offseason. But here's Griffin's resume. Six-time All-Star, like I said, five-time All-NBA player. 2011 rookie of the year and career averages almost 21 and a half points per game over eight and a half rebounds four and a half assists on 50 33 70 shooting splits but this past season with detroit he has been struggling detroit averaging um i mean he's averaging 12 points a game five rebounds four assists on a horrendous 37 31 71 shooting splits but i mean he's with the brooklyn nets now wanted to sign with a contender he did just that what are your thoughts about this I mean, it's it's. I was watching. Uh, I was scrolling through Twitter, and someone someone found a clip of uh, ESPN, and it's Jay Williams saying, "Because the Brooklyn Nets added Blake Griffin, he's over here like it's over. It's over. Brooklyn, Brooklyn is favored to win." And, and Stephen A. Smith was over here saying, "Like, yeah, uh, Blake Griffin's gonna be looking really nice at the end of the season with that ring on his finger." I'm like, "Oh my." God, bro. Like, I feel like Blake Griffin, it's so crazy to think that just what five years ago, Blake Griffin was considered a top tier player in the NBA. Not even five years ago, two years ago, he made the all NBA 13. Exactly. Like, the, like the production value has just gone down so heavily because of injuries. And it's like, damn, bro. Like, it just goes to show like injuries are no joke. Like, mm-hmm. you might think like, you know, a serious injury here or there, but Blake has just had so much toll. And I think I saw something like Blake hasn't attempted a dunk or hasn't had a dunk in like almost over a year. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, yo, Blake, Blake is not dunking anymore. I'm like, that's, that's just crazy. But uh, the way I see it is, is that Brooklyn definitely needed a guy, a veteran guy, but was Blake Griffin the right guy that they needed to have added? I'm not too sure about that because the biggest problem for the Brooklyn Nets is defense. Now, Blake Griffin, he's still a serviceable NBA NBA player, but is he renowned for his defensive capabilities? Not necessarily. And offensively, his style of play is he's gotten better shooting the ball from three and from beyond the yard. Don't get me wrong. He's definitely improved there. He's definitely um, changed his game. But he's more of a back-to-the-basket, face-up a little bit here and there type guy that he tries so hard to, like, you know, be more of a versatile guard type player, playmaking type player. But I just – I don't know. I've never really, like, outside of his athleticism, I've always looked at Blake Griffin like, can he do more than what his athleticism allows him to do? And – it's just shown that like maybe his game has just always been kind of, you know, reliant on his athleticism. And now that that's kind of, I don't want to say deteriorated, but that's kind of, you know, dwindled and gone down, down, down each and every single season he's been in the league. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not sure if he's able to, you know, have a big major contribution, but I feel like it's a signing that maybe Brooklyn wanted to add as far as, they needed to to have somebody come off the bench and help them as far as um, a veteran guy that they know has been around the league and knows what it takes as far as going deep into the postseason and 
um, being in the playoffs before and can definitely help out as far as if, you know, Kyrie or, you know, any of the major big three are having an off night, he can contribute and help off the bench. But I'm just curious of what is the expectations for Blake Griffin now that he's signed with Brooklyn? To me, the expectation has always been championship with this team, but I just, I don't know. I still go back to that James Harden trade and I'm still just like, I don't, I'm not sure if that was the right move or the right decision. I mean, obviously you got a top tier player, but you had to deplete so much of your team that I just don't know if the the synergy of the team is going to be the same. That's all. That's all. Well, I mean, with Blake Griffin, you don't have to have expectations with him. Yeah. He was an all-star player, but you don't have to have any expectations when you literally just landed him for a veteran minimum contract. So it's literally like, this is a no risk at all signing and a complete high, potentially high reward signing. So with Blake Griffin, I think he he's a guy, like you said, used to be a high flyer uh, athlete, but obviously due to injuries to his knees and his ankles, he can't do that anymore. But I think he's still a guy who can either come off the bench and who could play make for you, who could score for you and who can rebound still uh, for a veteran minimum contract. Like I'll take that any day of the year. And I think, all the contenders saw that you saw the Lakers, the Clippers, the the Nets, those were the main three front runners to get him. And definitely, I mean, the fact that the Nets landed him, even though he's not the, even though they need defensive help and they didn't really get that with Blake Griffin, it doesn't matter. I don't feel like they got any worse with this. They only got better with this. Cause I mean, this is definitely an upgrade from Jeff green, definitely an upgrade from, I mean, Nicholas Claxton, who's who's was the backup and then deandre jordan has been playing really well and this is that's not a shot against nicholas claxton because he's actually having a great uh rookie season when he's been getting the time but he they they view blake griffin as that true power forward that they kind of lack because uh kevin durant was playing that power forward role so they can kind of move him to the three and have blake griffin play that four or come off the bench and play that small ball center for them when needed because like you said he can facilitate and he can score I mean two things that you really need him to do and I still believe he has life in him maybe not athletically because like you said hasn't attempted a dunk this season which is crazy because if you just if you looked up Blake Griffin highlights I guarantee you the first seven minutes would just be dunks just straight up dunks that's how (laughs) athletically gifted he was but he's still a very very solid scoring option in my opinion and uh I, I think with a lot of pressure he had in Detroit as kind of like, okay, you have a big contract. Now you're supposed to be that superstar to take us to the next level. But I mean, they completely hit rebuilding mode and that's why they got Jeremy Grant and it was kind of Jeremy Grant's team. And he kind of noticed that kind of, you know, took a step back in not being that number one guy anymore, but now he can kind of play free flowing and with not a lot of pressure on him because you have the Nets big three there. So he should be able to play his game at his level that he wants to both on and off the ball and on a veteran minimum contract and homeboy still making almost $30 million at the same time too, with the Pistons contract. So I think this was an amazing signing for the Brooklyn Nets. If it works out great, if it doesn't, you literally lost nothing by doing this. So I, and I don't think there's no way it wouldn't work or like, there's no way it wouldn't be bad. So I think it's only a positive signing for them. Yeah, I mean, at this point for Brooklyn, they're just trying to find the pieces so that they can, you know, get their championship team together. And you're just trying to get the chemistry right because at this point, you're just trying to figure out 
late game scenario, who's going to be in, who's going to be guarding who, how can we match it with different teams and, you know, things of that nature. Because overall, when I'm looking at uh, Brooklyn, like we all know, their biggest problem is defense. But at the same time, there's been late game situations where they just have looked kind of all over the place. Like I remember that game against Washington where they literally threw that game away. I'm like, what in the world was that? Joe Harris, I'm still wondering, like, who are you throwing the ball to, my guy? But overall, I feel like, like I said, Blake provides a nice veteran presence that I think that they were kind of missing. And he's partnered up with DeAndre Jordan again. Like, that's <laughs> I didn't even think about that till right now. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, Lob City's back in, back mm-hmm. now, but they're in Brooklyn now. That's pretty interesting. But um, it'll just be interesting to see how different Blake plays from when he was with Detroit and, you know, let's be honest, they didn't really have much to play for it. He already knew that they were not going to. Exactly. So it'll be different to see what he's, you know, got now he'll be on a more national stage. I think like Brooklyn has like the sec- second most national we televised games mm-hmm. uh, for the second half of the season. So I'm going to be very much paying attention to how Blake Griffin meshes in with this Brooklyn Nets team. And I just want to see whether or not he's going to have the trust of, and also like thinking about it, I feel like Blake Griffin needed like somebody like to help him when he was younger, like uh, an Amari Stoudemire to help mentor him. He's got one of, you know, an Amari Stoudemire guy who's really good as far as playing that power forward position who can help Blake, I think, to be able to, you know, put him in the right positions and help him out as far as uh, coaching wise. So I think that, like you said, Brooklyn definitely got a, a solid you know, upgradable piece, but it'll just be dependent on how much of an impact is he going to make. And like you said, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to make that much of an impact, but you would love, like for Blake's sake, I would love to see him have like a huge impact and be like that X factor to help the, the Nets be uh, in contention. I guarantee you in this first game on Thursday that they play against the Celtics, I guarantee you he will dunk the ball. He will have at least <laughs> one dunk. We're talking about how he de- had to have a dunk this season. I guarantee you in his first game, he will have a dunk. It, okay. may, it may not be a flashy one that okay. we yeah, all yeah, know. Yeah. To see, but he's gonna have he a- will have a dunk. Okay. I just think he has a lot more to play for now. Yeah, like he yeah, actually he has like, motivation to play. He got that so, energy back, got that bounce back in his step. Yeah. And I definitely think that he's going to have a gigantic load taken off his back on the offensive end true when you that, have those big that. threes. So he can definitely focus. I wouldn't just say on the defensive end. I think they would need him more for rebounding sake. Right. And yeah, he's not there athletically, but dude can still get a rebound. Still get a rebound. Still, rebound. Yeah. He can still, still get up there. So I think that's where they're going to want to shift the most of the focus on is more on the rebounding aspect and more of kind of that defensive uh, aspect as well too. And then on the offensive end, just another scoring option, but I definitely think that's where we're going to look. They're going to look Blake for him also, to help them. Like, I'm thinking about it right now, like playoff wise, he's going to, he's also good for like matchups. Like if you go up against the Celtics who love to play like a small ball type lineup, Blake can also be out there and play that, like you said, mm-hmm. that power forward position so that, that way you can move Kevin Durant to the, the three position. And let's face it, like... Or not even that. Honestly, think of a think of a lineup of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Blake Griffin. That's off. That's a yeah, that's a exactly, defensive yeah. nightmare for other teams. Oh, like, all those guys can go get you a bucket and create their and own can't bucket. can't double nobody. You can't exactly. even double-team anybody because as soon as you exactly. double to Kyrie... Here's like the these guys are already leading the league in fourth quarter points this season. So I mean, offense just adding. Like, another... We already know offense is not the issue. It's just yeah. late game situations and decision making, and his defense. Like that's the only thing that I think a, a lot of people are kind of looking at the Nets and they're like, 
if they if they fix that and get that together, they don't even have to be the best defensive team in the league. They just have to be middle of the road. They just have to get out of being the worst team, defensive team in the league. Like that's yeah. it. Once they yeah. fix that, I think like it's like yo, this might be tough. And I mean, hey, who's to say they don't get Andre Drummond for a veteran minimum too? If he hits the buyout like, market, yo. <laughs> that's but that. But honestly, it's a legitimate thing. Like yeah. they can legitimately get yeah. Andre Drummond, which could solve their rebounding problems right there. But I mean. I would be feeling like that video uh, where the dude was imitating LeBron, like, yo, I'm 36. Like, I'm 36, <laughs> yo. Yeah. But, I mean, hell of a signing for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I can't wait to see Blake Griffin play with these three guys. It's going to be fun to watch the Brooklyn Nets now. Just imagine if this was two, three years ago. This team would be so stupid. Yeah, they would be unfair. <laughs> Absolutely unfair. Um, but that's pretty much going to wrap up this episode of The Nosebleeds. Make sure you guys are checking us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys give us a five-star rating if you liked what you heard on Apple Podcasts. Um, and on Twitter, we are at the underscore nosebleeds that's k-n-o-w-s bleeds on instagram the nosebleeds and on facebook the nosebleeds podcast Corey, any last words one quick correction lebron has four nba most valuable player awards so he'd be going for five 2010 2012 2013 yes he would be going for number five and who's to say he doesn't get it this year would not be shocked at all yeah, you know, LeBron. He's in that GOAT conversation. LeBron James. LeBron James. Other than that, we out. Deuces.